Oh, love that song. And uh, that was Eric Radecki on the piano. That is Parker's dad. So we're glad to have him. Yeah. And mom's out here too. So we're glad to have Eric and Becky with us. It is a fact, a fact that when you yawn, it induces others to yawn. In fact, I read that just seeing the word yawn will actually cause people to yawn, except during my sermons, okay? No. But do you know why people yawn when you yawn in a room? It was once thought that yawning in response to someone else's yawn was actually an act of empathy. You see them and you empathize, you know, you see their fatigue or their boredom and so you empathize with them and you, you do it too. Researchers con concluded that that is not the case. The bottom line is we do not know why yawning is contagious, it just is. If you yawn, you will probably influence someone else to yawn, so please don't do it now. Unless high schoolers, you're okay if you went to homecoming, I understand, if you yawn. But anyway, uh, you will probably influence someone else to yawn if you do it. And today we're talking about leadership, and the simplest definition of leadership I've ever heard is that leadership is influence. So everyone has the ability to influence others, even if it's just by yawning. But the fact is, even beyond that, the most shy person you can think of will still influence Actually, thousands of people over his or her lifetime. Everyone has influence. So today we're talking about leadership with the recognition that in some sense we are all leaders because we all have influence. I am amazed at how much difference a leader can make. A football coach or a band director or corporate CEO, a church leader, government leader, a parent. And people want to be led well. There's no class at school that says, boy, I hope I get a poor teacher this year. And there's no church that says, boy, I hope we get bad eldership and a rotten staff. You know, we want to be led well. And sometimes I think we want so badly to be led well that we have unrealistic expectations of leaders. We want Superman. And when churches seek ministers and staff, they're looking for superstars that can dazzle the multitudes. But for some reason, God saw to it to not create very many of those guys. Not many superstars. At the end of next month, we're going to begin our leadership selection and evaluation time, and I'm already praying about who our new elders and new ministry leaders will be. It is so crucial to the church. Now, today we're in 1 Corinthians 4, and the whole tenor of this book, as we've been saying, is Paul is saying, I love you, Corinthians, but you Corinthians have problems. Corinthians had some good things about them, a lot of energy, some spiritual gifts, but it was not a healthy church, and one reason is they had a problem with leadership authority, and in particular, they did not want to submit to the authority that Paul had. He wasn't as polished, he wasn't exciting enough, he wasn't able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, he wasn't fast as a speeding bullet, he was just not a superman. Paul didn't measure up to what the Corinthians thought an apostle should be. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul takes this on, essentially defends himself, and I'm going to use this chapter as a springboard for us to think about, first of all, our leadership, because we all have influence, every one of us, and then second of all, our relationship to the leaders in the church. When I read this text, the first thing that jumps out is going to be the variety of roles for leaders. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. 
My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. I, I, we can pull three roles out of that and all these variety of roles. Verse 1, he says, regard us as servants of Christ. And the word there is actually slave. Slaves had no rights. They had no freedom. They were the property of another person. New Testament leaders again and again chose this word to describe their leadership. Slaves of Jesus. Complete obedience. Now think about the implications of that. We could talk about this all morning. It is a radical concept. No rights. Slave. And how does that work in America where everyone's demanding their rights? It is hard to be a Christian in America. Because we don't want to be slaves. I mean, it's an amazing concept. Second metaphor, it's required those who have been given a trust must be proved faithful. The metaphor here is that of a steward. A steward was a slave who was given a trust or responsibility. And leaders of the church have been given responsibility. And they will answer for the church someday. Just like a teacher is a steward or a parent is a steward uh, for the class or for, for how the home is run. And then Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. It's the Lord who judges. Leaders are also on trial. That's a third metaphor. They will stand before God and someday give an accounting, and that is true for all of us. We will all answer to this God, but leaders in the church have a special accounting that they will give. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 9, and I want you to notice again how Paul describes himself in all these different metaphors. It seems to me that God has put his apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. That sounds like fun. Sign me up. Amazing. Fourth metaphor is, meta, is that of a martyr, verse 9. Like men condemned to die in the arena on death row. Church leaders, like good shepherds, are expected, if needed, to give up their lives for the sheep and sacrifice themselves. Another radical concept. Would I die for this church? Parents, would you die for your family? That's leadership. Verse 10, we're fools for Christ. The word fool actually carries the idea of a clown. You're so smart, we're not. He uses sarcasm there. In Shakespeare, a clown was the fool who in reality was the wise man. Everyone thought he was a fool, everyone thought he's a clown, but he actually is the one who gets it. He's smart. And Paul is willing to be thought unintelligent and despised, a fool for Christ, but he's the one that gets it. So when you say our elders are a bunch of clowns, you would be accurate on that, at least scripturally speaking. Fools for Christ. Verse 11, he says, to this hour we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, sometimes leaders are abused. Someone once said that the pastorate is one of the cruelest places on earth. Isn't that amazing? We're supposed to be known how we love one another, and yet ministry can be cruel. Some elders go off the eldership, and they will never come back. They don't need that kind of stuff. And there can be some abuse in leadership. Verse 12, he says, we work hard with our hands, so a leader is a worker. And one of the questions that needs to be answered before anyone becomes an elder or a deacon is, are they doing ministry now? Are they working? Leadership selection is 
recognizing those who are already leading and doing the work of God. We're not making leaders at leadership selection. We're acknowledging those who are already leaders. So one question we ask is, are they doing ministry? Are they working? Then verse 13, we've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. I mean, doesn't leadership sound like fun? It's amazing. Dirt is the metaphor. This scum of the earth is literally word for dirt swept up from the floor. Garbage is just garbage. And sometimes leaders are treated like garbage. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. For Christ Je- in Christ Jesus, I became your father. A leader is also a parent. My dear children, I'm your father. Other places he uses a mother imagery. It's a tough job. Now, that's just one chapter, and there's other metaphors in there that I didn't even touch on, but you know, also in other chapters, the image of a farmer who plants and waters, another image of the master builder who lays a foundation. And the point here is that Christian leadership is varied and complex, and let me add, sometimes very hard. But one thing I love about ministry is the variety. I am never bored. In one day, I can be with people at a nursing home, and teenagers, and three-year-olds, and go to the hospital, and meet with a young couple about their upcoming wedding, and get to read some pretty deep theological stuff, and then be playing with seven years old, seven years old, on Wednesday nights. I mean, there's just no boredom. And I look at our present elders and staff, I see variety there, gifts, and different temperaments, different backgrounds, different ages, some are more direct, some are more gentle. No supermen or superwomen, but you bring these individual roles together and it forms a pretty good group. And good leadership is like a good church, various roles and functions and gifts brought together in unity, working as a team, and it is beautiful. But besides the variety, Paul gives us some requirements and job description for church leadership. And the first requirement, and I would venture this is the most important, is that of faithfulness. Those given a trust must prove faithful. Today's criteria for ministry too often is success and popularity, or maybe even do they have a lot of money. God's criteria, is he faithful? Is she faithful? In the church, this has to be the first character trait. Can you count on them in thick and thin? Will they persevere? Are they committed? Uh, Will will they be, be faithful even when maybe the majority is not? This is number one. And many of God's leaders back then were not popular, they were not successful, and were not rich, and often they were persecuted. The second requirement is they must be good examples. Verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. And so a leader's life should be something that induces others to deeper discipleship, and people are raised to a higher level of commitment because of their lifestyle. If a leader is a praying leader, he'll tend to have a church that's a praying church. If a leader is evangelistic, the people around him will tend to be evangelistic. And if he's hospitable to new people, uh, the congregation will see that. It's just like a yawn. Whatever the leader is, it'll tend to catch on. And what this church will be tomorrow is determined by who the leadership is today. People do what people see. Colin Kaepernick, you know that name? You know that name? Football player, 49ers. He's kneeling during the national anthem to make kind of a protest for the injustice in America today. And all of a sudden, other football players are doing the same thing, kneeling during the national anthem even at the high school level, and then even the WNBA, the Women's National NBA, a whole team did it. Nobody was watching, but they still did it. Um, But anyway, Colin Kaepernick has had, 
He did a yawn and has influence. It's huge responsibility. When we select leaders, I ask myself these questions. Number one, do I want my son or daughter to learn from this person? Do I want my kids to be like him or her? Number two, do I want this church to exhibit his or her attitude? Number three, do I want to be influenced by him or her? Because I will be. And then just overall, do I want the church to look like that? Because who the leaders are is what the church will become. Leaders don't have to leap over tall buildings, or they don't have to be as fast as a speeding bullet. They don't need to be superstars. He just requires faithfulness and good examples. Those are so critical. Third requirement is nourish the church like a parent. In other passages, elders are called shepherds. They're to feed the flock and protect it and care for it. In chapter 3, another metaphor he uses is that of a nanny who feeds milk to the baby to help it grow and mature. Leaders are feeders, nourishing the church, which includes, and this is a tough one, discipline the church. Elders and leaders at times will have to have some tough confrontations. We've had them here. It happens in every church at some time or other. It happens in every home. It happens in every organization. Leaders have to take a stand, and they won't always be popular, and it's an awful job. It's like disciplining your kids. You don't like it, but it's part of the job. Verse 18, he says, some of you become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a pander of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come with love in love with a gentle spirit? Paul concludes his chapter here with a warning. He is coming and he warns them he may have to come with a rod to discipline them. So there are some demands on church leadership and requirements and the Bible holds them accountable. And I would just say, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, be careful who your leaders are. One bad leader can be catastrophic. I have seen it. But let's turn that around. There's not only demands on the leaders, but there's demands on the congregation toward the leaders. Like Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. First uh, responsibility is to submit. Obey them for their sake and their work will be a joy and not a burden and for your sake it'll be to your advantage when someone is constantly complaining and bucking against the leadership it's just no one wins now there's going to be disagreements and I would hope there'd be some disagreements and sometimes there's concerns and if there is let me suggest two things if you have a concern number one be careful how you say it I mean sometimes people raise a concern it's just wrong tone, the wrong voice. It's almost, you know, attacking and mad. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt and be careful how you see it. And then the second one, after decisions have been made, you support it. It's time to get on board. And constantly going back and holding a grudge uh, over something in the past, it's just poison. When this building was built, the Family Life Center, I know there was some disagreement, but it's been built and we move on. Congratulations. I mean, the church has moved on. In one church I was at, we'd made a decision about uh, changing the worship styles, and this was uh, 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 several years ago when worship styles were all changing. 
But it kept coming up constantly again and again. And people uh, don't like this new style. It went on for about six years. And I remember thinking, man, I wish people were as concerned about their neighbor going to hell as they were about drums and what kind of song we sang during the offering. There's more important things. You know, people's marriages are on the rocks. People are losing their jobs. Children are being led astray. Missionaries are barely squeaking by financially. Neighbors are going to an eternal separation. And then when someone comes up and says, well, I didn't like that song during the offering, it's tempting to not be the nice, kind, sweet, gentle preacher that I usually am. That was a joke. Uh, It's that smallness that takes the focus off of our mission and makes the work a burden and not a joy. Now, this submission stuff can go way too far where the leadership becomes autocratic and the leaders are dictators and the Bible addresses that, that elders are not to be domineering. So we have to be careful about that. There was a man who had been reading a book called Man of the House. And during his commute home from work, he was all inspired, and this enlightened husband stormed into the house to confront his wife, and pointing his finger at her face said, from now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house, and my word is law. And tonight, you're to prepare me a gourmet meal and a sumptuous dessert, and then when I'm done eating, you're going to draw me a bath so I can have a relaxing soak, and then when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? And the wife said, Nathan Fricky. He's the funeral director, for you don't know that. <laughs> Leaders are not to be dictators. So you can have two extremes, totally autocratic or totally democratic, and neither is biblical. The church is not a dictatorship. It's not a democracy. It is a theocracy or a Christocracy, God and Jesus. It's their church, and we're accountable to them and to him. I'm going to touch on that sometime later uh, in weeks to come. But the Bible is clear, we as the congregation have to obey and submit so that their job is not a burden but a joy and it's to our advantage and everyone wins. 1 Thessalonians 5 is another verse. Respect those who work hard among you. Hold them in the highest regard. Respect is another requirement of us. Benjamin Franklin once said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. Don't do that. Respect the leaders. And I'll just tell you, I think respecting our elders is a relatively easy job. They are respectful. I interviewed at a church years ago, and they had had 10 youth ministers in the past 10 years. And uh, I asked, well, what happened? And they told me that every one of those youth ministers was a bum. They just had a hard time finding a good youth minister. Said, now wait a minute, you're telling me you've had 10 bums in a row? And I was young and naive and probably shouldn't have asked this. And I said, could it be maybe the church was the problem? What's the common denominator here? So if you ever had a problem with Les and then with Jared, now you got a problem with Garrett, it may be that they are not the problem. You had a problem with Jordan and then Logan and now Parker. That may, they may not be the issue. You know, what's the common denominator? If you have a problem with me, I understand that. But these others... That, that church with 10 youth ministers, they eventually got one that I guess was not a bum. He's been there over 25 years now. I think the church changed. Because the guy they have is not a superstar. Just submit respect, go 
goes a long ways. And then most important is to pray. Paul was constantly asking the churches, pray that he can carry out the work effectively. And we need to lift up our leaders to the throne of God and pray for them. And we are going to do that a little bit this morning. Before we do that, I'm going to give you a one-word description of each elder and staff person. And I do this with fear and trembling. It's just me doing this, and you may have different words for these people, but uh, these are my words. Rob Powell, right down here, I'm going to use the word wisdom. He reads, he thinks, he has good insights, he's kind of quiet, but he's deep. He sends me stuff that I should read, and I read it, and it does help, wisdom. Micah Wakeman, this one was easy, passion. Passion for missions, passion for children, passion for the church, passion for Jesus. It just exudes out of him a passion to serve. That one's easy. Dave Rowland, I changed this morning. I went with solid. He knows the Bible. He knows the heritage of the restoration movement, he, and he'll do whatever's needed. He doesn't like to be up front. That's okay. He's just solid. Parker was the hardest because I haven't known him as long. I should have asked mom and dad about this one because I, I think he's solid, he's mature, he's easy to work with, been very cooperative. So I, I came up with this word, good. Just good in every way. Good person, good musician, good leader, good guy. I assume he's a good son. Garrett, relational, that's why we hired him. Great with people. How, how can anyone not like Garrett? Any of you not like Garrett? Don't raise your hand. But any... <laughs> Laura Wakeman, funny, sense of humor, a little crazy. She's married to Micah, so, you know, that. Teresa, this was easy. Perfect. John took a beating this morning on that one first service. But anyway, everything is done to perfection with excellence, uh, and she's perfect for the job. Rob, we all know how creative he is. That's the word, amazing creative. Uh, he put together the Super Bowl shuffle you saw a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> Jill, I, I put down the word confident. I love her confidence. It keeps Rob in line. And Big Wednesday, you just need someone who, when things get out of control, is a chaotic Big Wednesday she gets it under control. We have other key leaders, and I really, really, really wanted to mention some of them, but I know I'd leave some out, and so I just did elders and staff. But we have team leaders and trustees and deacons and teachers, a lot of influencers that just, we just have a bunch of different gifts brought together, and it's working pretty good. So pray for your leaders, and we're going to do that just now. So what I want to do here is have our leaders stand, and we're not going to have you come forward, but I just want you to stand where you're at. If you're a Sunday school teacher or an elder, or a deacon, or a trustee, or a ministry team leader, staff person, would you stand right now? Small group leaders, would you stand right now? No, ministry team leaders means anything that you... Okay. Very good, very good. You stay standing, I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for these spiritual fathers and mothers and for their commitment and their faithfulness and the example they set. They're not supermen or superwomen. 
but they want to serve you and want to be effective. So help us help them. Help us make their job a joy and not a burden. Help us encourage them and pray for them and lift them up to you. When they're discouraged, help us to be a conduit of your encouragement to them. And may you be honored through their lives. And may you be honored in this church as we follow them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everybody be standing now?